0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hello, just before we start this week's episode of Reclaim Me, I was wondering if you could do me a favor. Can you please go onto the app that you're listening on, click that subscribe button and rate and review this podcast. It really helps me reach other listeners and other survivors and allow them to tell their story and to learn from this podcast too. Now to the show. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm Madeline Heather and today I am joined by a very special guest from New York City.
2: Hi, everyone. Um, thank you, Madeline, for having me. Uh, my name is Taylor, and I am a host of my own podcast, Tay Talks. I'm also a survivor of sexual assault, uh, intimate partner violence and narcissistic abuse, and I'm really happy to be here to be able to just share my story and connect with you.
1: Thank you so much for joining me um, today. We were just talking and you said that you're not in New York City at the moment, but you grew up there. Um, Tell me a bit about what you're doing at the moment.
2: Yeah, so at the moment, I'm currently in upstate New York. Um, I am a junior in college, uh, so I'm majoring in international relations and citizenship and civic engagement um, with a minor in Chinese language. So almost there, I have one more year left of undergrad, and then I will hope to go to grad school and kick it off, um, my academic career from there.
1: That's so wonderful and exciting. Um, and I can't, I mean, I remember me finishing university. It was the most fun um, time of my life. I, I miss studying, so I went back to do it um, myself and I'm doing more um, university at the moment. But it is such an exciting time of your life and you're studying something quite unique.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, quite unique, but also challenging and frustrating. I think for me, I want to create change and I want to help as many people as I can. And uh, with my major, I can do all of those things, but it's also so sad to see how many people are suffering and how many social issues we really have, you know, world, globally, not just here in the US. Um, but I'm looking forward to it and seeing where this path takes me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I really resonate with that feeling of, you know, what can I do more? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I recently watched C C Spiracy. Um, and I mean, I don't know if I believed the whole propaganda of it, but at the same time, just watching it going, there are so many issues that we all need to be across or that we can all do better. Um, And it's easy to often feel like you're not doing enough, I think. So I don't know. I think it's been really important to be aware of them, but also focus on things that we're really passionate about so that we are at least doing good in an area. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you mind telling me a bit about yourself and a bit about your background and and how you found yourself in... um, in having to tell a survivor's story. So you've got your sexual assault and an intimate partner violence. Do you mind explaining a bit of how that all um, came to fruition?
2: Yeah. Um, so I I was 19 um, when it happened. Um, I was involved with someone who we weren't in an exclusive relationship. Uh, this frustrates me because when I describe this, it's actually what makes me feel like my story is, not valid enough, um, because we weren't in a relationship. Um, like my generation, we call it the talking stage, right? A situation And I feel like that's kind of the best way to describe, um, what our relationship was. Um, things, uh, picked up, um, pretty much my second semester of, um, college at the time. And I was, Throughout the relationship, I there was definitely lots of emotional and mental um, abuse happening that I wasn't aware of. So there was a lot of manipulation, a lot of guilting, um, gaslighting, but everything started off like super happy and super lovable. Um, and then winter break came around and... Things kind of changed. A winter break, I wanted to end things. And I really do believe that that was my gut telling me um, that something wasn't right. Um, Because leading up to that, there was so much pressure of uh, the conversation regarding sex and being sexually intimate and active in that nature. And I was very clear in the beginning that that's not what I wanted. I didn't want to have sex with this person. I you know, talked to them often about it and that I wasn't comfortable having sex. Like I just, that's not what my purpose was. And I had said, like, if that was what, you know, you wanted, you know, that's totally fine. But I don't, I can't be a part of that. That's not for me. That's not how I was raised. I, I need some sort of commitment. Yeah. Um, and so Throughout our relationship, the conversation just kept on occurring. Um, it was a lot of negative words like, oh, you're such a goody two-shoes. Like, are you ever going to give it up? Um, things like that. I can get it at, uh, anywhere else. Well, this girl does this. Like, why can't you do that? Why don't you do this? Um, so a lot of those negative um Pressures, um, I would say. Um, and so we fast forward to the next semester, like this went on for about nine months. Um, mm. And it was a little, like, it's interesting looking back and fully removed, like being removed from this relationship. I s- missed so many red flags. Um, and so now, seeing it and now educating myself and educating others about intimate partner violence. Um, I'm able to see things that I, I definitely was blinded by, um, at the time. Um, but there was, you know, lots of different experiences that I think for me seemed normal. Um, that wasn't normal. Um, so I recall the person was away and like they were texting me from a different number and, um, just like very strange behavior um, that didn't align with like what we were doing already. Uh, I th- going forward, like there in between that those gaps in between when the assault actually happened, um, there were a lot of red flags. Uh, I'll just say that a lot of red flags, and um, it was a Thursday night when it occurred. Um, my memory is very. Um, fogged. Uh, uh, in regards to it, um, I just remember it happening. Like I was literally begging in my head to stop, and like that I was in so much pain. Uh, but there were no <laughs> words that actually came out. And later, now being in therapy, I realized um that this was my body responding, and it was a trauma response, um, freeze. And I, it took me a very long time to. Not blame myself and not be angry with myself that I didn't do anything, I didn't fight back, I didn't speak, um, and instead realizing that my body was protecting me and doing what you know she needed to do for me. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, it it was just really, really bad. And I remember going into my campus dorm. I remember going into the bathroom and I called my friend and I was crying. And I was like, something is not right. Like, I don't know what's happening, but I was crying. And um, I remember him knocking on the door, asking if everything was okay. I said, yeah. I came back into the room and, like, he just asked, like, oh, okay, like, do you want to go watch a movie or, like, get something to eat downstairs? Something like that. And so we did that, slept, next morning, like, business as usual, like day continued, went to class, everything, right? But something was very wrong. My, I was bleeding. Um, and I had assumed that it was just my period. Um, and I was just on my cycle, but it was really early. Um, I didn't think to go to the doctor. I have a history of irregular periods anyway. So I just assumed this was a normal thing that is always happens, Right until I started bleeding for 2 weeks straight. And that's when I knew something wasn't right. But still I've gone several months, you know, without being on my cycle. I just assumed again another bodily reaction. And so during Yeah, it's that just time, an ag- irregular. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so during that time, I now learning more about Fawn Response, um, I actually remember I had texted him, maybe it was like a, a couple days or a day after, and I was like, I think we should talk about what happened. Um, I don't know what's wrong with me, but like everything like basically tightened up that night, right? And what I've learned is that that was my body telling me, whatever was inside of you shouldn't have been inside of you. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I had a phone response. I was like asking if I did something wrong, like what's wrong with me? All of these questions. Um, still nothing, nothing. I, I couldn't come to terms what happened. Right. Now we fast forward and there are other young women who start speaking out on social media and sharing their experience with the same individual. Um, I was at lunch with my mom when I saw the post. Someone sent me the post and I said, holy shit. Oh my gosh. And I started shaking in the chair. Mom had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what was going on. I just had to call a therapist. So I called my therapist and I was like, this is what, what I just saw. But what I just read is something very similar that happened to me. And social media is calling this rape, but I don't feel like I was raped, right? And so we are going over every detail, right? Every experience. Mind you, prior to that, I was talking to my therapist just about this person and the nature of our relationship, right? It was lots of toxicity happening, Lots of, um, like I said, gaslighting, even after we ended things, lots of gaslighting, still trying to get in contact with me, getting in contact through my friends, um, with, and trying to get to me, uh, after I've shared that I didn't want to speak to them. Right. Lots of, lots of things going on. Um, but when I realized what happened after I spoke to my therapist, um, Ironically, I I talked to my friends about what was going on. I had a few trusted friends and they all said, I didn't want to say anything to you, but I knew that you were assaulted and I wanted you to figure it out for yourself. And even when I, and those friends, same friends were the ones who actually were making me aware of the red flags. Um, okay,
1: so they were kind of telling you as as you were going through this. Going
2: through this, yep, yeah. Um, they were telling. Like, I remember one friend. I like sent her the screenshot because I didn't know what to say. Like, he was just really aggressive and rude, and she was like, "He is gaslighting you. Like, I need you to see that he's gaslighting you, and you need to tell- say something." Um, and that was the first time, like, I actually realized what gaslighting was and what was happening. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: And I think that's one of the scariest things, um, about being in a mentally and emotionally abusive, uh, relationship or involved with someone both intimately and as a friend is that you don't see it because your mind is playing tricks on you. Right. And they are so good at, at the skill, right. They're so good at making everything about them, which was, that was my case for my perpetrator. Everything was always about him never about my needs or wants, never about what made me feel comfortable. All the attention had to be on him.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's just something that needs to be highlighted in this format as well, because we often don't know that this is happening around us. And Mm -hmm. when gaslighting happens and it happens consistently and over a long period of time, your recollection and what you perceive to be normal can change. So with that, the other kinds of abuse can really come to the forefront because you're already in a state where you're not reacting in the way that you normally would right. because you're not trusting your instincts or your perception.
2: Right, absolutely. Um, and I think for me, I I didn't come to terms with my experience for a while. Um, I was in therapy, uh, talk therapy one-on-one. And then I went to group therapy, which was specifically for survivors. My therapist um, over the summer had recommended me for group therapy, and she was like, "I think this will help you in reaffirming your experience." Um,
1: yeah.
2: And I went, and I was very scared because, um, one, just disclosing—I it, it's felt really comfortable disclosing and talking about things to strangers, but. Uh, The last session was about disclosure and we all had to share our story and um, I was the last one to share. And I was not only relieved, but I felt so supported um, in my story and in my experience. Um, And it was very different from a lot of the other survivors in the room. And I think that's what's been so challenging for me to come to terms with my assault is because it's not like what's pictured in the movies, right? It wasn't aggressive. It wasn't in a dark alley. I didn't have any physical bruises on me, right? And it wasn't with a stranger. It was in my dorm, my home with someone who I knew and trusted, right? And even liked a lot, right? Yeah. And it was in a space where where I felt comfortable, and we don't see that in movies. We, When we hear rape, when we hear sexual assault, we think the worst of the worst. And that's not always the case. Most of the time, the victim knows their assaulter, right? And I, I don't think we normalize that enough in, in society and in our culture that it's not like the movies. Um, and so hearing, you know, the other uh, survivors in the room and hearing their experience and how different it was in mine, it did make me feel like, okay, my story's not important and my story doesn't matter. But when I did share and after I shared, I always felt like when I disclosed my story, um, didn't start publicly disclosing until, um, to strangers until November for domestic violence awareness month. But when I started disclosing, I, every time I I talk about it, I feel like I'm going insane. Like I feel like I'm crazy, but I also feel like at the same time, I am so supported and my experience is so valid and that there are so many other people that are going through this. Um, and so, yeah, it took me a couple after group therapy. I went back to, um, one-on-one. Um, and now I'm doing EMDR therapy and that has been, Really amazing, um, but it's also really challenging. EMDR, you process a lot of feelings and lots of layers of trauma that I just have endured and trying to navigate those. Um, With EMDR, I actually realized that I was violated more than once. Um, So it wasn't just that Thursday night, it was multiple times um, where there were unwanted touches, where I wasn't even. I didn't even get asked if it was okay to be touched. Um and I, I think now being involved with someone who respects my boundaries and who listens to me and who consents all the way and asks before doing anything, I realize what consent is and what it actually looks like. And that it's not it's not as clear as you know we think and in something as simple as okay. I can touch you. You said yes, but you didn't say I could touch you here. I didn't, right? I can touch you, you know, put my hand under your clothes, right? Like those things. And I, I think being in my relationship now, like I'm able to really understand um, boundaries and, and just feel so supported in that way that I wasn't before. Um, and so I came to terms with my um, assault, uh this, Couple of weeks ago, actually, not too long ago, I used to always say I acknowledged it, but I didn't accept it. And I've now come to a place where I've accepted it and it is a part of me and will always be a part of me, but it doesn't define me. And now I'm just, you know, ready to heal and ready to take back my power and my voice.
1: Absolutely. And I think some of those things that you said are so. Um, Powerful, especially with consent, Um, and consent needs to be, you know, informed, freely given. It can be removed, um, unambiguous. And Mm
3: -hmm.
1: when you have somebody that says no, or that indicates that they don't want to do something, and then you try to gain consent by coercing them into Mm -hmm. saying yes, or pressuring them into saying yes, that is sexual assault. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand. And even just um, two nights ago, it was my birthday and I was at a bar having a few drinks and this guy was talking to me and he was just like, oh, um, I'd really like to kiss you. And I was like, oh, um, you know, flooded, but sorry, I don't want to do that. And then he then, you know, did, became a bit of a suki lala and was like, oh, why? And then he started to try to pressure me into kissing him, which Mm -hmm. just negates the whole point of asking for my consent anyway. But you can see it was so awkward. Even in that moment, you can see how somebody would turn around and feel pressured into doing that in that situation with this guy who's probably about six feet tall. He's quite built. He's pretty big. And I was alone with him. Like I was surrounded by people, but um I was actually like in the pokey so my friends were out the back and I was in a different area like mm-hmm. you know it is intimidating and it is scary and that isn't consent. If I was to kiss him then I wouldn't have been consenting to it. Right. Even if I did it because he was trying to pressure me. So if you're if you come to the conclusion of consent via any other means other than your own mm-hmm. that's not consent. And I think that's something that we don't talk about enough and we yeah, don't Especially with what you said as well about you don't know what's wrong with you, but it's been it would have been so hard for you to consistently over this period of time have your boundaries challenged, having your boundaries not met,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then for you to be made to feel as if there's something wrong with you yeah. throughout that time for not, I don't know, giving it up. Yeah. In air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having that happen and, and it not looking like the movies, like this is what we need to change. We need to change the narrative from being this stranger in a dark alley that, you know, attacks you. A stranger attack is so much less likely and it is, you know, horrific and I have friends who have gone through that and we know that it happens right. but w- majority of cases are known to the victim, like somebody that they know and somebody that they trust mm-hmm. and was reading the Australian Bureau of Statistics for 2019 to 2020 sexual assaults and there was there was so many I think it was over 80 percent of sexual assaults were known to the victim so as a family member or a you know intimate partner or just somebody like a friend Mm -hmm. and that's what's scary I think as well is that We're always on edge looking out for these strangers that might come out of the bushes and attack us when we need to be looking at the people that are standing next to us.
2: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, your your comment about the consent and um, your experience is exactly what happened with me, right? It wasn't, it was something that I was pressured and forced to do, but it wasn't an enthusiastic, yes, I wanted to do this. Um, And I just, I sit here as, you know, we're talking, I'm looking back into my current um, involvement with my partner. And I remember I I waited a very long time. And when I was ready, I was like, yes, I'm ready. And that's when I felt powerful. And I felt like my voice was, was here. Like I, that was me and my boundaries were respected. But when my assault happened, that wasn't the case. And Coercion is something that we don't talk about enough. And it's not taught about in school. Um, I didn't learn about coercion until I actually was in therapy. And until I brought up the example, or it brought up yeah. my experience in therapy. And that's when I learned so much. And, you know, literally my eyes and mouth were wide open, like, whoa, there's so much to unpack here. And And I think that if this was taught in a lot of schools, I don't know how it is in Australia, but this is not something that's talked about in schools here. But if it was, I I think it would bring awareness to so many experiences that have happened, especially on a college campus.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, especially bringing up college campus. I mean, in Australia, there is a massive push and a big um, issue with rape culture in universities Mm
3: -hmm.
1: um, and them being covered up by universities. They're not treated the same way for some reason and we're doing a lot in that sense. But in terms of consent education, I never had any. I think the only discussions really that we had at school were few and far between and it was more tailored around like, you know, wear a condom, try not to get herpes, like things like that were very bland and basic, not talking about sex as it, sex was talked about as if it was something that was a topic that should be avoided, and I think when you when you add or combine all of those factors, you're not going to create safe sex situations. One of the things I think I think about, and I've thought about a lot recently, is you know my parents as well weren't people who openly spoke about sex. Like I never really had any information about it other than what my friends and stuff told me. So consent never was never a part of the conversation. But I think, especially if you take, um, especially a man for example, if they've grown up in a family where they've been taught, you know, just by being around their family that sex is not something to really talk about, like it's not an open conversation. You don't give them the education in school. They start to go through puberty and start watching porn. Right. And I think more than eighty percent of porn in a recent study said that there was in there were acts that were performed in the pornography that was actually being, you know, consumed Mm -hmm. that were involuntary, um, uh, like not consenting type behavior. So there was choking, you know, there was fake kidnaps, there's things that are quite violent. And if you haven't taught a kid anything about sex and then they're just consuming porn and figuring out for themselves what they want to do or what other people, they think other people are doing because porn says that's what's normal, how do you expect them to have the tools to navigate a healthy sexual relationship with a partner when their only experience is that? And that's something that I think about a lot. However, like recently in the wake of, um, you know, the massive campaigns for sexual assault awareness Mm -hmm. that are happening currently in the state that I live in, in Victoria, consent education in schools has now become mandatory um, as a part of law.
2: I wish um, we had that here. I work at Planned Parenthood, and one of my, my roles is education and outreach um, to high schoolers and college students. And I have been doing all different ways, figuring out all different ways to connect with the youth um, about, about little things that I think, you know, like you said, having these conversations at home. I also didn't talk about sex a lot at home. Um, It was kind of a taboo topic. The basics, make sure you're protected, all of that. But we didn't really talk about relationships. Um, I actually didn't disclose to my parents for a while. I didn't disclose to my dad until uh, seven months after. Um, And I didn't disclose to my mom until about 10 months after. Um, and, and mainly that a lot of that came from like worried what they would think. And I think that growing up, I just, we didn't have these conversations. So for me as an educator and also just as a young person in college, I'm like, okay, well, let me try to be the big sister for the high schoolers and have these conversations. Cause maybe they were like me in high school and they couldn't talk to their families about this. Right. And I think yeah. that if we, start to normalize this conversation and incorporate it in our day-to-day lives, we can really bring some awareness and some change to some of these statistics. I really do believe that. Consent doesn't have to be taught when you're going through puberty. Consent can be taught when you're four years old, when if you know, saying, asking a child, is it okay if I hug you? And if that child says no, then you as the adult need to respect that boundary. Right. And, and that child will later on learn and understand when they're incorporating those type of boundaries into their day to day lives, their sexual lives, their intimate lives. Right? They will understand what consent and boundaries are if they're taught at a young age and not something that they're just learning for the first time ever, like you said, after social influences, right? Video, videos, um, pornography. What's being shown on movies, right? They're learning and talking about consent and navigating relationships at a younger age.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Mm. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't well, agree more. And I think it's it just needs to be a part of what education is. And if it's not a part of education, how are we going to change it? But sexual assault and intimate partner violence are not things that need to happen. They can be prevented. And through any means possible, we need to start doing that.
2: Right, right. I agree
1: 100%. And I think that's something, you know, with victoria the state that i live in Mm -hmm. saying consent education is now mandatory things like that i think some parents are kind of going oh well it's just going to be covered in school then it's like you don't expect you know if you're going to teach somebody how to you know throw a basketball into a hoop you don't just tell them how to do it once and expect that they're going to learn it just from that you know you need to model the behavior you need to consistently you know, train and teach them how to do it again and again and try from different angles and try different circumstances and, and I think then you eventually get somebody who's competent in doing that skill. You know, these aren't conversations that need to be had once. These are conversations that parents, that family members and things need to be aware of and talk about because otherwise you're never going to learn, um, especially if that behaviour isn't modelled.
2: Right. Absolutely. And I, I, I think your environment, right, whether it's at school or at home, wherever you are, plays a big role into your outcomes. And also just, like you said, awareness, right? If it's just going back again, if it's not talked about at home or it's not talked about in your school, then you're going to result naturally into talking about it with other people May not even know what they're talking about, right? Or viewing it on TV, and that's also not a good source of credible information as well. And so, I, I really commend your state for being able to to make this something like a law to teach sex ed is awesome. Um, and to just be able to normalize this, I think it would do so much good. And, and sex ed is not just about sex, you know. It, there's so much. More layers, relationships, re- reproductive health, right? There's so many other topics and they all relate in some way. So that's awesome.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, it brings up a good point about it as well. It's not just about sex, but I think what is sexual assault? Um, and I was listening to a podcast the other day by Byron Dempsey called Young Driven, and he interviews a former police officer from New Zealand who works in Australia now as a consent educator. Mm-hmm. Um, on sexual assault, and it's what is sexual assault, and I think the the discussion around what sexual assault is needs to be ha- had because I think people think that it's the it's the biological term of a male and a female, where you know it's penile penetration and that's it, whereas actually what the law states is that it it isn't that that it can be done by something that is manipulated by the offender, like an, an object or them their fingers or their, you know, they can, sexual assault can look very differently. Um, and what we were talking about was, you know, young boys have gone or young men have gone into, and I'm sure older men have as well, but the example that was given as well on the podcast that they discussed was, um, you know, guys have gone into a police station to be interviewed about a sexual assault and they'll go, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't sexually assault her. I just digitally penetrated her with my fingers mm-hmm. consistently and whatever, and it's like you're actually admitting to sexually assaulting somebody. Right. That is sexual assault. Right. But they're not aware of that, so they're admitting to it freely because they don't understand that what they've done is wrong. Exactly. And not all of the time people are doing things that they think, you know, are wrong, but that doesn't negate the fact that they are.
2: Right. Absolutely.
1: And I think that's where, you know, a part that we need to talk about more as well is just that, you know, if even grabbing somebody and kissing them is, is an unwanted touch, that is
3: mm-hmm.
1: a sexual type act and it's something that obviously is on the lesser scale compared to, um, you know, penetration of any kind or anything like that, but it's still unwanted. And if we allow one, we're going to continue to allow the rest. So it needs to be talked about.
2: Absolutely, and I think that you know you you're touching on some key points here. sexual assault is not just penetration, it's not in a heterosexual relationship. it's not penis vagina you know penetration right it's it could be various other unwanted touches that are enacted through hands right or or the way that you're even kissed, right? Like you're saying, like it's not. And I think that that's something that society, again, when you think of sexual assault, you think of rape, you think of stranger, you think of heterosexual relationships, and you think of forced penetration. And that may not necessarily be the case for every survivor. Um, and it, it's an unwanted act, period, right? That's not. It, it doesn't matter. It could be something that it doesn't have to just be penetration is what I'm saying. And I, I think that I, I wish one of the things, if I could change something in the world, that would be one of the things that I would want to change. Everyone's understanding that it's not just violent penetration. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, boundaries are so important. And when those boundaries are cro- crossed, right, when something is happening that you don't want to happen. And, and even if, and I, I, some people say, well, They didn't say, no, you can tell 100% if someone is not comfortable, right? Like facial expressions, all of that cues, if they're staying silent, like I remember my therapist just talking about different things and she said, well, silence, right? Um, If you're having sex with someone, you should be communicating and checking in. That's also part of consent. Is this okay? Does this feel okay? Right. But if none of that's happening and, you know, someone has a a disassociative response or a a freeze response, like something is not right. And I feel like we should also teach those things on how to be aware and just also how to check in with your partner.
1: Um, Absolutely. And it's interesting because I've had a lot of people say, you know, well, I don't want to ruin the mood by consent, you know. And it's, you know, my response is always, well, you couldn't ruin the mood more than sexually assaulting somebody. But consent and continued consent can be hot, you know. like Absolutely. Especially hearing your partner say, yes, they want to do this or seeing Mm -hmm. them show you that. And that's where the term enthusiastic consent that I love so much um, comes into it because you're right. And I think what is it? I think there's a random statistic somewhere that it's like over um, 80% of communication is nonverbal. Um so you know you're you're exactly right you can tell if somebody's not comfortable you can tell if somebody's not into it you can tell if somebody's just kind of laying there or uncomfortable or don't want to particularly be there but them not saying no does not mean yes exactly and consent can be withdrawn but consent i think it's it's never going to be a law and i've said this on this podcast before it will never not will never be a law but for everybody to strive for enthusiastic consent at all sexual interactions, even if it's your partner um, that you've been with for 10 years, that needs to be the standard that you go for. Because I've been in a long-term relationship and I'll tell you right now, like, just even thinking about it and saying this out loud is really new for me. But, you know, I I remember there was more than one occasion where I'd be like, no, I don't want to have sex or I'm not into it right now and he'd consistently like grab my head and try and force me to give him um, oral sex Mm -hmm. and there were times that I did it and I was like crying almost like I don't want to be doing this, I'm like choking, I hate it, I feel shit about myself, I feel like a vessel Mm -hmm. and there were times that he had done that to me which is sexual assault but in your mind you don't consider it as that because we're programmed to believe that, it is, you know, penile penetration, and it's the girl that's screaming, right. you know, in the street, and it, you don't think that that act that your partner is doing to you is as bad as what it is. Right. And I, I don't know why but that just flashed into my mind I'm a bit.
2: Yeah, um, no, I, I
1: remembering that is quite hard.
2: I re- resonate with that ex- same experience. Um, that is what happened with me. Um, that, that was the post that I you know, I had shared that I saw um, and mm. the other survivors shared that she was forced to give oral sex and that was that was me and yeah. I didn't think this was right like I I can literally as I'm saying this and speaking this I can feel like his hands pushing against my neck and yeah. it's something that i'm completely like not comfortable with and i've expressed this to my current partner like i that is very triggering for me right and that's very like you said i think you you said it perfectly it makes you feel like a vessel like it doesn't feel good right it makes you feel bad about yourself and that's generally how i felt and i think that part of it as i i associate with multiple experiences before leading up to the very big one, right? Is that whole, okay, but this is not how it is in the movies or this is not what's talked about, right? And I think this is also what makes it a little bit challenging, I feel like, for a lot of survivors, including myself, to speak up um, or to even just tell their story, disclose to anyone um, because who's going to believe me? And yeah. I definitely felt a lot of that because who is going to believe this experience when this is not what's shown? This is not the normal for everyone, right? Like my, I feel like with me, like my case was like something that I never even saw or realized. And quite honestly, the first time I saw it, something similar, at least the emotional, mental abuse, um, is when I watched the movie, the Netflix movie, um, Malcolm and Marie. Okay I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um it is a black and white film and a really great film, very triggering um though, so if anyone watches it, you know be advised but i uh, that was the first time I ever saw like something similar to my relationship um and i and I think that that's so sad because it's i don't know it's hard, I think it's really hard coming to terms with a lot of things if it's not something that's a talked about in your household, right. Or B yeah. you don't see it, right. You're not taught about it. You don't see it on, uh, on TV or society tells you, it's only supposed to be violent penetration. And if that's not your case, then it sometimes it can make it feel like your, your experience is invalid and like not good enough.
1: Absolutely. And I think, especially with intimate partner, um, abuse, mm-hmm. You know, you don't walk down the street and see somebody being abused. You don't notice what's going on and people yeah. put on a facade and make sure that – and it, that's the same kind of thing that happens with social media. You know, people look at different people's social media accounts and they're like, oh, this person's fine, this person's so happy, why aren't I like that? And you go, they're only showing certain parts of their lives. Yeah. And we don't know what's going on behind closed doors but the statistics tell us the nature and which – and and the, the – sheer prevalence of this problem is happening at rates that are inconceivable. Like walking down the street, there will be people that are surrounding you that are going through this at home. And it's mm-hmm. it, it's overwhelming to think about it like that. But when we think about it in terms of ourselves, we're not taught that. And if you were to sit down with each and every one of those people and hear their stories, I'm sure that we're going to have some of those overlapping things like the sexual assault that happens, the the gaslighting and, and all of those combined factors that make up coercive control in a relationship that that are just absolutely horrific. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that you shared your story um, because it, it highlights to people exactly what this is. And it highlights to people that it is not always the stranger danger, that mm-hmm. it is people that are closest to you. And I'm I just am. Yeah, I'm grateful that you've you've come on and that you've you've shared your story because it is, it is truly really important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I, I think this is what my uh, my calling is is being able to share my experience, and I think that's the work that I'm trying to do with my own brand is bring awareness to it and attention to intimate partner violence because it's not something that is talked about enough, and it's like you said, it's not just a stranger danger experience. Um, and I, I think you you hit it on point in terms of not knowing what's happening behind closed doors, right? Like, like I said, I, I showed up to class. I showed up to all my responsibilities, all happy and dangling. But when those doors shut, that's when I felt like I was losing myself. I didn't know who I was. I became distant from my friends and um, all of that. And I I was in a very, very dark place. And a year later, now seeing how happy I am and how much I enjoy life and enjoy living and and doing things for me, it's pretty, you know, great seeing how much I've, I've grown, but also it's quite disturbing to see that I'm also not the only one, um, dealing with this. And I mean, we connected through social media, but I'm sure you've connected with others too, just by sharing your survivor experience, right? And and realizing, I feel like every day I get a a new DM or email of someone asking a question or sharing their experience with me and relating. And it's just far too common. And um, I'm so glad that we're able to bring awareness on, on both of our platforms and Appreciate you creating this safe space for me to to share my story and to bring awareness and attention to this.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm grateful for you coming on. And and yeah, you're exactly right. And um, I've got a lot of people I know that want to be, you know, do very similar things to you and I. But it is quite overwhelming to be messaged all of the time. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, from survivors and. And I'm okay with that. I'm in a place where I've worked through a lot of my stuff and I don't find it triggering and I, I have the time and the space to do that. Mm-hmm. So I always welcome people to reach out. Um, but another thing for us and for other people to think about as well, when people are disclosing, especially if they're disclosing for the first time, it's really important that we write some things down as well, um, which is something that we don't often think about doing. If this person does one day de- decide that they want to take it to court or take it to the police, mm-hmm. um, it's really important that they've got some of that information down. And if it's a historical crime, these might be things that you, a statement might be something that you can draw on. So what I usually try and do is I let the person that's telling me know that I'm going to take some notes. I write down, you know, the name, the location, the date and the time mm-hmm. and I just jot down some, you know, basic what they've told me um, and things because we can't remember everything right. as well. But okay. having that written down and if they do decide that one day they would like to go to the police, that note that I've written could be used in evidence and I think that's a really powerful thing that we can give back through our conversations. Yeah. It's not saying that you will use it, you'll just have it there, as has something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. But it's a really great thing that you can give somebody that's disclosing as well is, is proper formal backup. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, and I love that idea. I think that, that that's so really great. Um, it's a great gift to give, um, but I also think it's, it's a great way to reclaim your power um, or reclaim, help to reclaim their power, right? And memory, trauma impacts your memory, right? But if you're able to remember one thing, even if it may seem small, it actually may be something that can really be helpful, you know? Um, and so you never know. And I'm a big believer on writing everything down. I, I wrote in my, my journal um, everything that kind of happened that night and how I was feeling and not knowing what had happened, right? And now we're talking about months later, that same journal article or page is what has helped me in terms of figuring out if I am going to report and what details do I have, right? And it's helped me in filling in the gaps for some of those those memories that are lost. So yeah, I, yeah. I think that that's so great. Um, and I, writing is really powerful because sometimes, like you said, sometimes you don't remember it and that's okay if you don't remember, but you're your body might remember muscle memory will kick in. Um, so yeah, I I keep a little mini journal with me always, um,
1: and write things down. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, I really encourage other people to do that. Um, but thank you so much for sharing your story, Tay. Do you mind actually going through now? Like, so you spoke about Tay Talks. Do you want to talk a little bit about your podcast, um and your Instagram and everything and and where that's going now?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, Tay Talks is a brand that I created. Um, actually, I started Tay Talks uh, my first year in college. Um, nothing on social media. I hosted uh events on campus. Um, that I, it was kind of like girl talk. Um, and we talked about different things. So navigating, um, college, uh, everything centered around wellness. And so that inspiration started freshman year. Um, I'm really into TED Talks. I have always been into TED Talks. And that is my dream one day to give a TED Talk. Um, and so my TED Talk. What a great goal. Are kind of like that. Uh, so the inspo started off in college. Um, but I didn't really know what was, what I was doing with it, kind of just for fun. Uh, I blogged a lot when I was in high school. I love writing, and um, over quarantine, I was in a very depressive state. Um, I was this was when I was really numb and just navigating my assault. Um, I was dealing with all of this by myself uh, as my Shared, I didn't tell anyone, I didn't tell me, any of my family members, I only told my friends that were back home. And I um, used to record these videos uh, just talking about how I was feeling. And um, I had posted it on like my private story with my immediate circle. And my friends were like, You should start a podcast. You should start a podcast. You should do this. You should do this. And I was mm-hmm. like, No, that's not me. Like, I. I'm a full time student. Like, when have you heard a student running a podcast? And everyone wants me to start a YouTube too. And I was just like, no. But I realized how, how much me sharing my feelings and talking about how, what was going on in my head, even if no one was listening, how much it helped my healing journey. And so I launched my podcast in August and I, started inviting friends to hop on. Um, and I kind of took a turn a relaunch and wanted to focus more on educating the community about intimate partner violence, um, sexual assault, abuse, um, and sexual health and reproductive health. Um, I did that and still doing it. I've taken a little break from just recording cause I don't have a lot of time. Um, but I, Posts um, graphics on my Instagram page. It's at Tay Talks, and I um, provide you know content about IPv. And I also have a website that um, I just like launched and got together. So there, I'm gonna get back to blogging, and I'm gonna be posting my own stories and tips. Um, right now, there's only resources available. Um, I'm create my own designs and merch. Um, So I actually work with a couple of um, small business um, illustrators. Uh, So I highlight them as much as possible. Some of my graphics are created by them. Um, And we work towards educating the community. So on my website, you can also shop my merch, um, which is different t-shirts all related to intimate partner violence, um, related to supporting and amplifying voices of color. Um, and I am launching right now, um, healing boxes. So I'm making subscription boxes, which are currently on pre-order on my website and the healing boxes are educational boxes about IPV, but each item in the box relates to your five senses and, um, has exercises for grounding techniques. So I'm really excited about that. I have some body oils coming up on my site as well. So a lot of, um, My approach is about education, but at the same time, I wanted people to have this content with them wherever they go. So on some of my designs, there's quick facts um, on t-shirts about IPV. In my box, there's various infographics and um, information to utilize. Um, I also do practice trauma-informed yoga. So I talk about my experience. Um, I host different workshops and classes. Uh, but yeah, T-Talks is my my baby. It's the it's my space where I feel like I matter, and I feel like my voice is being heard, and that I'm recognized. Um, it brings me so much joy, but it's also probably one of the hardest things that I've had to do. Um, being so public with my experience and um being able to talk about it, I think not only has shown me my qualities and who I am and and my growth and my strength. But I think it's also helped so many other people. And I hope that's, that's my hope is that it connects other survivors and reaches to allies and educates someone, anyone on this experience.
1: Absolutely and you are doing so much and it's so incredibly amazing and I will link all of those resources, um, your website, your Instagram, everything um, into the show notes for this episode and post it on my Instagram as well thank but thank you so much for coming on and I think you're a really great example as well that, you know, um, there is life after abuse mm, and yes, you know, there's a strength in recognizing our post-traumatic growth. Looking back and seeing how far we've come. Um, I had somebody say to me the other day, "You know, you, you're you must be so grateful." And I think that they didn't mean it the way that it came out, but basically they s- were saying you must be grateful for your abuser because you've used it to become who you are. Mm. And I think for me, it's just really important that we never say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That we, you know, that it's not, no, um, I'm not grateful in any way shape or form i don't forgive and i'm i will never forget but i i have done what you have done and i've accepted and used it as a part of my life to move forward um and i think it's just a really powerful thing to look back on your post-traumatic growth and see what you've been able to do in the face of adversity
2: absolutely So good on you
1: i'm really proud of you
2: thank you thank you and thank you again so much for having me here
1: No, thank you for coming on and um, I'm sure that I'll have you on again um, and we'll be um, collaborating into the future for sure because, yeah, you're such an incredible woman and it's a really, really great pleasure to speak to you today and to share your story. Signing off now for Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode.